As we come now to the scripture, let me ask you, um, please, to pray with me. Our Father in heaven, uh, um, I pray now as we open the scripture that as it is the very word of God, that we would attend to it with great reverence and awe. And not only that, that you would speak from it, through it, to us. And even as we listen to it, that we're hearing your voice and not our own. And Father, that even as we think about it and speak of it, that all that we say will be true and helpful and penetrating to us and deep within us, that we may believe this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to the gospel according to Luke and chapter 24, please. The gospel according to Luke, verse uh, chapter 24. I'll begin reading with verse 36 and read through verse 49. You won't be able to take all of that out, but you'll see it all. Luke and chapter 24, please. This is the word of the Lord. As they were talking about these things, now the they there are those who are gathered together after the resurrection of Jesus behind locked doors. And the disciples of Jesus, excluding Thomas, plus two people that were traveling on the road to Emmaus who show up, plus others as well, perhaps the women who had attended the tomb of Jesus and found it empty. As they were talking about these things, that these things, by the way, is the sightings of Jesus, that they had seen him. Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled and why do you, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself, touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets And the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Behold, I'm sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Now, over our years together, there have been many Easter Sundays. Uh, We've taken up really all the passages and all the Gospels, according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, concerning the resurrection of Jesus and a variety of other passages as well. But since we were working through Luke uh, during Lent, I thought it best to take up what Luke has and this particular passage as well. We've taken it up before, but hopefully God will enable us to See it afresh on this day. It pleases me because it's one of the most fascinating of all the accounts to me 
of the resurrection of Jesus. Of course, that's neither here nor there what fascinates me. It's the scripture, so it fascinates, I suspect, and captivate us, captivate us all. Now, as I mentioned, as I began to read that, that, that uh, the disciples are together, it says the 11, just a few verses above what I read, but uh, that's just a technical uh, term for, for the disciples uh, after Judas, of course. Uh, John says that Thomas wasn't in the upper room at this point in time, so 10 of them anyway. Plus, we have these two people that had been walking on a road from Jerusalem to Emmaus. You may remember that incident. Luke has it just prior to what we've just read um, uh, Cleopas, the name of one, we don't have the name of the other, just his companion. And the two of them were walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. It's a seven mile walk, which probably seems uh, a bit much for us. We'd take the car. But for them, it was probably just sort of something they did. And so uh, it was a seven mile walk. And they were walking and, and discussing the things about Jesus. And, and Jesus showed up. They didn't know it was Jesus, but he came uh, upon them. And whether their eyes were veiled to see him, kept from seeing him, or, or whether it's just they didn't expect him, uh, there he was walking along with them. And, 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 and Jesus inquired as to what they were talking about. And they said, have you been under a rock? I mean, don't you know the things that have been taking place in Jerusalem? And, and he said, well, tell me about it. And they told him about, about the Christ and their hope that was in him. But, but he had been killed. And, but then they went on to say that some women had, had, had gone to the tomb and it was empty. But uh, who knew? And uh, so they were leaving Jerusalem and going presumably back home and quite sad about that. And then Jesus, still didn't know it was Jesus, caught them up and said, oh, you foolish of heart. Don't you know what the scripture says about the Christ? And so Jesus then went on and he, he talked to them about the Christ. And, and, and when they got to Emmaus in uh, their village, uh, it was late. And so they said to this traveling companion, why don't you stay with us? And he said, all right. And so they went and they began to get some bread to eat and he broke it and they saw him. I mean, their eyes were opened at that point in time and they saw it was Jesus with them. And, and then he vanished. And they said to each other, didn't our hearts burn when he talked to us about the Christ? Duh. Right. He was talking about himself and, and, and their hearts burned within them. And so even though it was late. And even though it would be a dangerous journey now in the dark, they left their village and went back to Jerusalem. They couldn't contain themselves, so they took the walk all the way back, and they sort of knew where the disciples of Jesus would be hiding out. And so they, they went there, and when they got there, ready to announce what they had seen, and uh, it was announced to them that Peter had seen the Lord. And then they went on to tell of their encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. So then... Jesus again appeared. And he said to them, peace to you. Now, in those days, that was a common greeting, hello-ish. But, but when Jesus said it, of course, at that moment in time, it had to mean more than just hi. Right? Because peace had been associated with the Christ, with the Messiah. You remember as, as, as the prophet Isaiah speaks of this one who is to come, this son who would be given, he would be what? The prince of peace. Peace would be his rule. Peace would be his domain. Peace would be his to confer and to give. He's the prince of 
peace. In fact, just a couple of days before this, when Jesus was with his disciples, he spoke to them about about peace. No surprise, he's the Prince of Peace. No surprise when the angels announced his birth. What did they say? Peace on earth. And we confuse that often to think that means some sort of political peace, and it will ultimately, but peace with God, bringing peace among men. So when Jesus was with his disciples on that night that he was betrayed, that night that we celebrate as Monday, Thursday, he uh, says to them, says to them that his peace, he says, uh, I will give to you, verse 27 of John 14, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. I give you peace. I don't give peace like the world gives, which is superficial, which is unlasting, which is just external. But I'm going to give you peace within. I'm going to give you peace within because I'm going to give you peace with God. No one else can give you peace with God. But I'm going to give you peace with God. And then he ends his evening with them, really. He ends his evening with them, really. John 16, last verse of John chapter 16, next chapter, John 17, where Jesus prays, and then the scenario of his, of his betrayal and trial begins. He says this, I've said these things to you. Now, what did he say to them? He talked to them about his going away, but he talked about his coming back to them and being with them. He he talked about the fact that he would give to them his spirit who would be with them, the very spirit of truth who would glorify Jesus to them, you see, make Jesus known to them. So, So I've given you, told you these things, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Now, what a great thing to leave them with, especially he's out to go to be crucified, and especially he's, he's going to leave them ultimately and send his spirit to be in a world that will be, at times, quite hostile. Even in our day, we know that. We hear about that just these days. But he says, don't worry. I've overcome the world. I know it doesn't always look like that, but don't worry. I've overcome the world. You can have peace. So don't be afraid, have peace. I leave my peace with you. You're going to have trouble, you're going to have tribulation, there's going to be difficulties, but I give you my my peace. And so you see, when, when Jesus came and said peace to you, it was more than just an announcement. It was more than, than just saying peace. You know, I, I remember the late 60s and the 70s, we had a sign for peace, you know. We'd give it to each other. I, I would show it to you, but it's embarrassing, even as I think about it, you know. We say peace, you know. What a silly thing. I can't give you peace. You know? That's why the priests would say, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you. May he be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That's peace, real peace. When the Lord's face is upon you, right? When the Lord's favorable face is upon you. When the Lord's gracious faith face is upon you. Then you can have peace. When you know that God is looking out and God is looking at and God is gracious to you and he's favorable towards you, then there can be peace. I can say peace to you, but that doesn't really help you. Only when God says peace to you. And so here's Jesus saying it to them in a a real sense, I think, 
conferring it upon them. But even in that moment, the scripture tells us that they're startled and and frightened. And I wonder about that. I mean, hadn't they just been talking about the risen Jesus? I mean, hadn't they? Wasn't that the topic of conversation? Didn't didn't they say Simon has seen him? And didn't the women report? And didn't Cleopas, who had been on the road to Emmaus with with this with his friend, didn't they have something to share as well? How many of them had seen Jesus? Some of the women that were there talking about it. Uh, and then he shows up, and they're startled and, and frightened. And you think, wait a minute, shouldn't you be expecting this? Well, I suppose, but we have to remember that they had no category in their brain for someone resurrected from the dead. And you say, well, they saw Lazarus resurrected, but that was different. I mean, Lazarus was risen in some sense, but but in the same old body, a body that would die. A body that, that, that appeared like everyone else's body. And, and, and poor Lazarus, you know, he was going to die again. Right? Don't you know that the women of the church said, in his real second death, I'm not making a casserole this time. You know, I made one last time. And look what happened. Right? So, so he's going to die. There's a different, this is Jesus in a resurrected body, in an incorruptible body. And in, in the body like ours will be in, in that sense, that in glory. This was a sight of eternity. This was way more like what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John. You remember that scene? Uh, it was like that. It was that kind of glorified body. This it was qualitatively different. It was Jesus, but, 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 but this body, it was the resurrected body. And they didn't really have a category for that. He had told them, but, but still, who would think? I mean, they saw Jesus die. And if the Romans were good at anything, it was good at crucifixion. It was good at putting people to death. And he really died. And they saw that. And their hopes were dashed. And now to get around that, to get a handle on that, to think through that, how could this be? I mean, for the Greeks, the resurrection was, was not helpful at all they saw the soul as being what was good the body was not and so so a resurrection wasn't all that important or valuable it wasn't something to look forward to something wasn't good and 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 for the jews i mean they had a great debate about about resurrection uh, the sadducees didn't believe in any resurrection at all from the dead and the the others pharisees and others believed that there would be a re- general resurrection at the end of the age but this wasn't the end of the age and so how could this be that this very one Jesus is resurrected? So they're startled even when they see him at that, at that point in time. But you'll notice uh, uh, Jesus realizing this to give them peace said, Why are you troubled? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at me. This is me. You remember, these are my hands. Nobody else has hands like these. Nobody else has feet like these. You know these are mine. You know this is... This is really me. Touch me. John, the apostle, who was there, wrote of this. His first epistle, he said, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. 
that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you. It would be trite to say, John never forgot that moment. How could you forget that moment? Of all the times that you had spent, John did, with Jesus and all the various things. I mean, he was, the, he was one of the favorites, right? He went into all the intimate places with Jesus. All the times when some others were left out, John was there. And yet he said, we touched him. This was different. Now, why was it so important for Jesus to make sure they knew it was him, to make sure that they knew he had been raised from the dead? Why was all that, all that so important? Well, and we've said this so many times, I hope you're with me. I hope you're saying this along with me in a sense. The reason, first of all, is that Christianity is not first and foremost an idea. It's not first and foremost a theological construct. It's most, it's most, it is not first and foremost a philosophy of life. It is all those in various ways and shapes and forms. But first and foremost, it's not that. Christianity, first and foremost, is something that happened. It's something that happened. It's something that Jesus did. It's gospel. That means good news. It's news. It's news to be announced and proclaimed. It's news of something that happened. It's an event. It's something that took place. It's something that Jesus did and only Jesus could do it. In fact, when we profess our faith, in essence, what we're professing is, I need what Jesus did. In fact, we could say it like this. We could say that what Jesus did is true. I mean, it's not awkward. Normally we put it like this, that what someone said is true. But to say what someone did is true. But it's true that what he did was true. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. We can trust it. We, we sink into it. It, it. It's something that happened. It's news that's announced. And the news is that the eternal second person of the Trinity became man and dwelt among us. And in so doing, he gave his life for us. His life in obedience. So that where he, we sinned, he obeyed. So we can have his righteousness, his life given in death so that he would satisfy, propitiate, you know the big word, propitiate the wrath of God for our sins. You see, in the very love of God, he brings peace to us, reconciliation to us. <clears throat> there is a hostility between us and God because of our sin. And God who is just, right? Perfectly just. He's not satisfying some external justice, but only what is in him. Doesn't overlook it, can't overlook it, won't overlook it. And so what does he do? Well, in love, he deals with our problem in himself. He deals with our problem in himself. He takes upon himself, God does, the hostility the wrath for us so that all who believe in Jesus might live. And so, so there you have it. 
the peace that he, he brings. And so Jesus wants to, wants them to know that it's happened. He did it. Here he is. In fact, the way the apostle Paul puts it concerning the resurrection is this in Romans in chapter one. Says Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son, who is descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord. You see, it was the resurrection that declared it. It was the resurrection that declared the father has accepted my sacrifice on your behalf. See, the wages of sin is death. You know this. The wages of sin is death. And so Jesus died, not because of his own sin, but because of ours, substitutionary. And when he died for us and the penalty was paid because he had no sin, there was nothing to keep him. And so he was raised. And so he comes back and he says, look, it's finished. It really is finished. Here I am. You've got to know that. And as Peter preached in his sermon that I read from Acts 10, Jesus didn't appear to everybody, but only those God had chosen to be witnesses, particular witnesses of this event. So they can see it really did happen. And there were some of that in that uh, in that room that evening and others who would see Jesus and they would be the ones God chose to say now. All right, go and tell people that you really did see me. You really did see me. I really did rise from the dead because that announces that it proclaims it. Thus, uh, Paul could write later in the book of Romans in chapter four. He writes this about Jesus who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. In other words, we're justified, declared righteous before God because Jesus was raised from the dead. Now, in dying, he took the wrath of God for us. In being raised, it was the announcement, you're justified. There really is justification in, in all of this. And so it's necessary, you see. Uh, George Ladder. Baptist theologian puts it like this. He says, in short, the earliest Christianity did not consist of a new doctrine about God, nor of a new hope of immortality, nor even of new theological insights about the nature of salvation. It consisted of the recital of a great event or a mighty act of God, the raising of Christ from the dead, any new theological emphasis are inevitable meanings of this redemptive act of God in raising the crucified Jesus from the dead. It's so crucial, of course, you know this, as you read through the New Testament. Uh, you should do this sometimes. Just sit down over a period of a week or so and read it and circle all the references or allusions to the resurrection of Jesus. You'll find more than a 100 that either, either speak directly to the event or or use the resurrection of Jesus as the theme of the passage or speak very directly of Jesus as Jesus whom God has raised from the dead or perhaps use the resurrection of the dead as a rationale for what is being said. It's, 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 all, it's throughout. I mean, you read the Gospels. Of course, the climax of every Gospel is, is the resurrection of Jesus. And there it is. You see that the Gospel would be incomplete without the resurrection 
of Jesus. Any gospel according to would require the resurrection. The, the, the preaching in the book of Acts is, is centered around really the resurrection of Jesus. If you read uh, Peter's um, great sermon in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, the first real Christian sermon, if you will, uh, Peter preaches this and he appeals to people to repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. His appeal is not based on the teaching of Jesus. His appeal is not based on the moral character of Jesus. His appeal is based on the resurrection of Jesus. Because this happened. Because Jesus was raised from the dead. That changes everything. So turn away and turn towards repentance. And believe the sermons and acts all about. And Paul summarizes this gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 3, 4. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that is to Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then to James, to all the apostles, last of all, Paul says, he appeared to me. And so you see it, you see, you see all of that. Now, what this means is that there really is forgiveness of sin. What this means is there really is adoption into the family of God. What this means is that God really then is the father, the heavenly father of all those who believe in Jesus. What this really means is that we're reconciled to God. What this really means is that Jesus now is interceding for us, keeping us, guarding us, praying for us, that as long as he lives, our salvation, our reconciliation with God is guaranteed. And the good news is, he always lives. He'll never die. Not like the priests, previous generations before Jesus, they all died, but, but this priest will always, always live. So what the prophet Jeremiah said was true. That our hearts would be changed. That he would write his law upon our minds. Put it in our hearts. Change our inclinations towards God. That we would know him. That we would be his people. He would be our God. That he would remember our sins no more. What the prophet Isaiah said was really true. He would sprinkle us clean. He would take out our heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. And he would put his spirit within us and cause us to walk in his ways. What it really means is there really is eternal life. Life with God for all who believe in Jesus. As he said, even though you die, yet shall you live. And Jesus is the living guarantee of all of that. See, that's a great question of the ages, isn't it? 
Is there really life after death? Is there really anything after this? And you get the sense that there's Jesus in the midst of some of these dis- discussions that people have about is there life after death. And you, you get the sense that he wants to go, hello, over here, you know, over here. It's interesting what you're talking about, but you don't have a clue. I do. I went through it. I'm back. I'm here to tell you there is life after death for all who believe in me. Now, for those who don't, all there is is eternal death. Punishment. The wrath of God. Hell. So I really do know what I'm talking about. Listen to me. I'm really here. And what this means too, because he's risen from the dead, uh, it's fascinating, isn't it, that, that Jesus retained the marks. He retained the marks on his hands, on his feet, and his side. In fact, the book of Revelation, in Revelation chapter 5, John sees Jesus and he describes him like this. He says, I see the lamb as if he had been slain. He still sees the marks even then. For all eternity, Jesus has the marks. Why? Well, on the one hand, those marks plead for us. Uh, Charles Wesley, we sing this from time to time, wrote a great hymn called Arise, My Soul, Arise. And, And poetically, he puts it like this. He says, five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They pour effectual prayers. They strongly plead for me. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Forgive him. Oh, forgive, they cry. Nor let that ransomed sinner die. And so there's a sense in which these marks plead for us always as he intercedes for us. Forgive him, forgive him. Look, look, look. He's in my hands. He's in my side. He's in my feet. Forgive him. My blood for him. Forgive him. But also, you see, those scars that when they were given were hideous and horrible are now glorious. And he tells us the scars that you get during the course of your life, whether they're physical or whether they're emotional or whether they're spiritual or whatever kind of scars that we get. He says, like my scars, some days yours will be glorious too. All things will work together for good for those who love me and are called according to my purpose. Those scars will conform you to the image of my son who bears them. Right? So all that's, all that's true. Now, fascinatingly, when the disciples touched Jesus, verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything to eat? So they gave him some fish. Uh, Jesus could still tell there's more work to be done here. And this fascinating expression, I've shared this with you before, because I, I, ever since I came across this, I don't know when, decades ago, it's, it's been fascinating to me. That they disbelieved for joy. What a funny expression, right? However, if you're a Wisconsin fan, <laughs> or an anti-Kentucky fan, I think I've got most of you now. You know exactly what this means. I was praying during the game last night that it would work out this way so I could have this illustration. Um, <laughs> forgive me. 
But you know exactly, I mean, the whole game you were disbelieving with joy. I mean, you wanted it so bad. You wanted it so bad, right? And yet you couldn't quite believe it, even when you were up by six with four minutes, four seconds to go or something or whatever it was. And you still couldn't believe it. And even at the end of the game, you kept looking at the television going, I need to see the score again. I need to see the score again. Did, did this really happen, right? You were disbelieving with joy. This is too good to be true. You understand that? I mean, kids at Christmas, I remember, I shouldn't have confessed this, my dad's here. But, uh, my sister Patty and I uh, uh, used to, every year, he knows this some, we used to look for the Christmas presents hidden. Not well, usually, but hidden. Uh, we looked well, but they weren't hidden well. And so one year, I saw a bicycle. And I don't know if they still make them this way, but as we called that bicycle, it was a boy's bike, and I had three sisters, so I pretty much figured it was mine. But from that moment that I saw it till Christmas morning, I disbelieved with joy. Could this really be mine? Could this really be true? Maybe it's a neighbor kid just being stored here. I don't, you know, I, I really want this to be true. But there was something in me that couldn't quite give in to it because if it really wasn't, I'd be so disappointed. Or it might be a job interview you thought really went well, but, but you disbelieve with joy until you actually get the offer. It could be a test that you take that you think you did really well in, but you disbelieve with joy until you actually get the results back. It, it could be a date that you have. You think, I think she likes me, uh, but you really don't know. You'll disbelieve with joy until, right, all of that. And that's where the disciples were at this moment, how honest this is. They disbelieved with joy. And so Jesus said, all right, let's eat. <laughs> and I'll show you that, 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 that I'm really me. This is really true. This is really real. We'll kind of flash back to the old days when we, when we ate fish together. And so we'll do that. And so I'm kind of bridging the gap for you. I, I'm, I'm uh, one foot in eternity, if we could put it this way, and one foot here. And, and I'm, I'm here with you just to show you one more time. So let's, let's eat together. And you see, that's the longing, really, isn't it? Of the human heart. I think. No matter how hardened. An atheist. A person may be deep down. They want this to be true. Deep down. We all. Want to be forgiven our sins. No matter how much we suppress that truth. No matter how good we might. Make ourselves out to be better than others. No matter how we may perceive God in any particular way, there's something deep within the heart of a human being that feels guilt and wants to be forgiven. And can we really believe this Jesus? Can we really believe that? We know ourselves. We can look at our past life, past life, even in our relationships with others, and we, we know that we haven't made up for all the things that we've done, and we can't even do that. We realize, realize that. And there's bigger sins of humanity. And how will those ever get dealt with justly, or does that, does justice mean nothing? Is there no justice ever? And we know that deep within us, deep within us, we desire to be accepted desire to be accepted by God. There's something in us 
desires reconciliation with him, to know him, to trust him, to, to know that he, his face does shine towards us. We, we really desire that benediction deep down, his countenance upon us, you see. And to have him as our father. But can I believe that there is a father who's good? Some who've had fathers that are horrible never think that I could have a, there could be a father. I just so desire someone, a father, to love me, to protect me, to provide for me, to guide me, to teach me, to discipline me, to help me, to look out for me, all of that. To be adopted into a real family of people who, who love and accept one another and forgive. Could that even be a possibility, and deep down we want it to be so true. We want it to be true to know that there's somebody in heaven who's looking out for us and interceding for us. We, we want it to be true that there is eternal life and we will spl- spend it on a new, in a new heavens and a new earth in the very presence of God where all is said right. We so want that to be true. And yet, there is this sense, is it too good to be true? And Jesus sits there with his disciples and he said, it is good and it is true. Let's pray. Father, I do pray for me, for us, that you would enable us to know and believe. In fact, you would enable us to believe with joy that Jesus is raised from the dead and thus all that he promised to do, he did. All that you promised to do through him is true and real. And God, that you have done. So we pray, God, that you would be with us all on this day and from this day hence that We believe and follow. We pray for those in our congregation, God, who are going through a variety of difficulties and and resonate deeply with Jesus who said, you will have tribulation in the world. They resonate with that. They know that to be true. And many, even in our world, face it, our brothers and sisters throughout the world, even on this day, who grieve Because family members are dead because of persecution. Those who face surgery, those who face cancer, those who face various kinds of rehabilitation, those who face loss, disappointment, want, feeling neglect, Fear. God, I pray that you would come to them and speak peace, the very peace of Jesus. To know that there is a peace that has been made with God so that once that peace is made, then even with the tribulation and the difficulties that we face, that we can have confidence that the scars that we receive now will in one day be glorious. And there really is eternal life for all who believe in you. So Father, we give you thanks. We give you thanks for the blessings that we've received in Jesus. We thank you for church and we thank you for friends and we thank you for family and we thank you for 
material blessings and we thank you for health and we thank you for a measure of freedom in the world in which we live. And we pray that you would enable us to be faithful, faithful to this truth of Jesus and that with joy we would believe this. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.